Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. No, it's good right here. I have... uh... I think we've all found people that that struggle. We've struggled. Sometimes we struggle with with issues, addictive dynamics that come into our life. We struggle with thought processes and attitudes. And when I look at this particular topic this morning, I, I really believe that all of those have a root cause. There's a root, there's a systemic thing that drives all of that. And when we talk about the root of bitterness, before you simply take it as bitterness or unforgiveness, uh, it goes way deeper than that. In fact, this root of bitterness is named throughout the Bible, and we're we're not going to look at the exhaustive lists of all of that, but there are many reasons. But bitter roots produce a variety of fruit. Out of that bitterness that we can find that grabs hold of our soul, addictions, insecurities, hate, envy, jealousy, pornography, uh, lust, immorality, anger, unforgiveness, resentment, all of these things are fruit of resentment of, of, uh, of a bitter root. And when we look at the word, it gives to us, I think, some interesting insights as to what that means, and I believe the antidote to that. If you have your Bibles, look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 12, where the author of Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, in other words, walking it out, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. The word there, defiled, really means that the residual effect of that impacts other people. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. In this passage, you see the word lest three separate times. And those three separate times really are the, 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 the skeletal dynamic of what I believe God is speaking to us this morning. The first root is the root of deception. The bitter roots deceive. They deceive. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness... So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's interesting that Paul would use as an illustration the the deceiver himself coming to Eve in the garden. The deception was the tool, deception was the tool that Satan used against both Adam and Eve. Its root was bitter. When Satan came to Eve, he said, God knows that the day you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, 
knowing both good and evil. In deception, there is a truth, but not the whole truth. God does know, right? He knows everything. He knows the day that you eat that fruit. He knew the day they would eat that fruit. He knew it would happen. He also knew that when that happened, their life would change. Nothing would ever be the same. But here's where the deception gets rather intriguing. You will be like God. Listen to that. They were created in the likeness and image of God. They were already like him. But Satan is saying, God's holding out on you. There's something he has more in store that he's not letting you in on because you will both know good and evil. God never intended for us to know evil. Hello? It was never God's intent for us to know evil. To know good? Friends, they talked with good every day. There is no one... God doesn't just contain goodness. He is goodness. We get the word God from the Latin word good. Just drop one O. Seriously. They talk to good every single day. Why would they want to know evil when they had good all around them? Why would you want evil when everything that we have for life and righteousness is already given to us through Jesus Christ? Why would we want to know more? That's the deception of the evil one. He was basically saying to her, Eve, God's holding out on you. And so she ate. And she gave. It's interesting. When you begin to think of this, when you begin to think about the lie, it's very subtle. It wasn't, it wasn't big flashing lights. It was cloaked with a sense of truth, but it was distorted. When evil comes into our life, when we have evil things or bad things happen to us, that thing can begin to twist and distort the purposes that God has for us if we're not discerning and if we're not aware. What's behind the lie? The, the, the lie behind the lie was, as I said, the idea that God was holding out on them. I believe that all sin goes back to this root of bitterness. If you go back into the book of Isaiah chapter 14, you study the, the statement of where Lucifer, Lucifer was one of the three archangels of God, the three greatest angelic beings that he created. Michael, who really oversaw the prayer requests of the, of the saints. Gabriel, who oversaw the word being declared. And Lucifer, who was the choir master, who was the intent person with worship. When you think about our services, we have the word, we have worship, and we have prayer. They should be in every single thing that we do as 
people of God because it's part of the whole program and process that God has for us. I, I come into worship, and when I do, I sense the manifest presence. I sense God in my presence. And when I sense God in my presence, the word opens itself to me in a way that I could never know it by myself. And when the word is open to me, then faith arises and I can believe him when I ask. Do you all understand that? So when, when we look at this, Lucifer, Lucifer was jealous. He was the choir master of heaven. He was, if you were, the, the amplifier of all of the praises of all of the angelic forces of heaven. Went through him right into the very presence, right into the very hearing of God himself. And he became jealous. And he wanted some of that praise for himself. And when he wanted that praise and he didn't get it, he became bitter. And the issue that drove Satan out of heaven was really a bitter root. His bitterness toward God. Because he felt God was holding out on him. Now think about this. How foolish this is. He was a created being. He wasn't the creator of beings. And as a created being, he was subject to the creator of all beings. And how can you, as a created being, assume that you're as great or greater than the one that created you? You see, the distortion was a lie that was found within him. And that lie became bitter. And he became a bitterness. And as we'll see in the word, literally bitterness was thrown out of heaven and it was cast into this world. I'm convinced that all sin, all sin can be traced back to a bitter root. The basis of that sin is found here in the Word. Listen to the words of Hebrews 12. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. There are two ways to fall short of His grace. Please understand that. How many of you know that we're saved not by anything we do or what we don't do, we're saved by the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins, took them to the cross, made the great exchange, our sin, for his forgiveness and mercy. His righteousness was bequeathed to us when he took our guilt and our sin. That's the most incredible exchange in the world. When we celebrate Easter, it's talking about the great exchange. It's talking about this massive exchange that God created for us. But there are two ways to, to if you will, fall short of that. One, one is by lasciviousness. It's a big word. That's a 16-cylinder word. Lasciviousness, and the other one is legalism. And there are two extremes. Lasciviousness is evil and evil living. In other words, we can live any way we want with no consequence. Isn't that the mantra of our day today? Isn't that what we hear coming out of Hollywood and, and, and all of the other neat media dynamics that drive things? We can live the way we want. We can live as perverse as we want. We can be whatever we want. We're going to live to ourselves and there's no consequence. I, I find it so, so interesting that, that the Hollywood, Hollywood elite would make a Hugh Hefner almost pontificating him as some great bastion of whatever and on the same tone put down a Harvey Weinstein as the lowest of the low. And they were both equal in what they did. 
Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me I can't. You're violating my civil liberties. That's lasciviousness. Don't tell me that there's right. Don't tell me that there's wrong. There are no absolutes. Absolutely. A spirit of stupid comes all over him, folks, I'm telling you. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The word here is not just seeing that person. It's not just visually seeing, but it's literally, it's literally being in the presence. Not just see holiness, but being in the presence of God. Without holiness, you'll never be in the presence of God. We, we receive holiness by grace through faith. We, we can't earn it. We cannot, we can't, we just can't earn it. We, we, we find in, in a legalism, and there are so many of us that have been brought up into, and, and, and I thank God that some of us have been delivered out of a legalism that, that it's, you know, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with those that do. How many of you were raised that way? Raised with, with, you know, I believe we should walk holy. I think we should live holy. But hear me, you will never be holy enough in your own life. You'll never, you'll never be able to acquire that by, by some performance on your part. Legalism is an attempt to earn our holiness or our relationship with God by some sense of performance. We'll never be able to perform. I don't care how, how hum, humble you might be and how much contrition you might have and how much penitence you might try to provide. You'll never in that make yourself holy. Listen to me, folks. When we try to make ourselves holy or we try to live on the other side of that, we're trampling under our feet the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.1 O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. It's an interesting word. Ibaskanen in the Greek is the word here for bewitched. It's a very unique word because it's the only place in the Bible that it's ever used. It's unique in that sense because to understand the dynamic of that will help us to maybe getting a, a bit of understanding of this issue of the idea of a root of bitterness. It comes from the idea of being deceived by magic or deception. You know what magic is? It's sleight of hand. It's, it's getting your attention over here while they're doing something over here. That's all magic is. It's deception. It's deceiving you, getting your attention here while something else is going on over here. Satan wants to bewitch the believer. He wants to somehow get our attention off of Jesus and onto something else. You may, did that make sense to you? I heard the story of a fellow that came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I'm going to leave the church. And he says, why? He says, he says, I come to church and people are on their cell phones and they're on their iPads and they're talking and they're writing. And he says, I, I, just, it's just, I, I just don't think that's right. 
And he says, can I ask you to do one thing before you leave? He says, sure. He says, I want you to take a cup of water, and I want you to walk around this church two times without spilling a drop of water. Okay. So he takes a cup of water, and he walks around the building twice. He comes back and says, I didn't spill one drop of water. He says, on your way, did you see anybody on a cell phone? Did you see anybody on an iPad? Did you see anybody whispering or talking? He said, no, I had my focus on this glass of water. He said, when you come to church, you keep your eyes on Jesus. The enemy will deceive us. We'll draw our attention over here while he's doing something over here. That's a pretty good illustration. (laughs) Even if I do say so myself. Dear friend of mine, pastored Century Assembly in Lodi for many years. We were talking one day, and he said, Son, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll push you too far in excess. I don't know that I've ever heard any wiser word. I've watched this over the years. I I remember a young couple that were in our church, one of our churches, and they were always in trouble financially, always struggling, lost a house, went through bankruptcies, job after. It was just one mess after another. And they came in. They were so, so discouraged. They came in one day, and, and we began to talk. And I said, tell me your story. And they said, well, when we got married, God spoke to us that we would always live hand to mouth. And in a very tactful way, I said, well, that's a lie. Because that isn't God's plan. That isn't the will of God. Now, I know that there's a prosperity gospel that's been preached, and and I can tell you that that's not a gospel. But there's a poverty gospel that's preached, and that's not a gospel either. There is a provision gospel, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will provide all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of the Word of God, all right? So somewhere there is this wonderful gospel that Jesus brings. But this couple had believed a lie. They had been deceived. They had lived their entire married life believing a lie. Wrapped in something that was cloaked as righteous. But it didn't live up to this word. And folks, if you can't find it in this book, you don't need it. Hello? That's precious to me, so I can't forget that. That leads me to the second point, roots, bitter roots defile. Not only do they deceive, but they defile. Verse 15 of our text says, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this Many become defiled. The word defile here literally means to stain. It means to die. D-Y-E, not D-I-E. Die. Though your sins be as crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Sin leaves a stain. Sin leaves a mark. We've all found those stains and marks in our life. There's not one person here in this room that's lived a perfect life, a sinless life, a stainless life. All of us have stains somewhere in the background. But the blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Say that with me. All unrighteousness. Not just some. All unrighteousness. I was sharing with the men the other day that there's not a Sunday goes by that I come to this platform that the enemy doesn't want to remind me of my past. And I have to tell him, go to hell. Because my sins are under the blood of Jesus. That's where he belongs, folks. That's not cussing. That's just where he belongs. Hello? Amen. My sins are under the blood. My sins were as crimson, but they're as white as snow. Hey, you picked out a good color for me this morning, honey. Amen. The author of Hebrews brings Esau into the analogy. And it's interesting because he is... This is a story of, of, well, how many of you, when you see the story of Esau, you think immediately of, of Jacob coming to Isaac and deceiving him with the, the skins of animals and, and the stew and all of that. This is not that story. This is not that story. In Genesis chapter 25, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew. That's important. For I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. He really wasn't. He was just tired. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He did not value his birthright. That, that's, that's, that's the height of stupidity. He was giving up an inheritance if his father died, it meant that he would get two-thirds of the estate. Isaac would only get one-third. He would get the prominent position of being the elder statesman of his family. He was giving all of that up for a bowl of bean soup. It meant nothing to him. So that when the great deception of Isaac happened... Not taking anything away from the, 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 the foolishness of what Jacob did in deceiving his father. Esau had already given up his birthright. He didn't value it. He didn't, he didn't look at it from the same vantage point that, that God was in control of this. Why did he do that? Why was this all about... I want to take you back in the history of Esau and Jacob. There was a root of bitterness in Esau. You see, he looked at his little brother as the favorite of his father, and there was resentment. That concept of resentment wasn't just known to him. David and his brothers, there was resentment in his brothers. There was resentment in the brothers of Joseph. Joseph was sold. There were times when I wanted to sell my sister, but I couldn't find a buyer. Wouldn't have happened. 
But the point being, with sibling rivalries, there can become these, these resentments and estrangements. And that's exactly what happened here. It's interesting to me that there's, there's a phrase here. Jacob gave Esau eight. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see those same words with Adam and Eve. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. She gave, he ate. The dipwad. What a dumb thing to do. Somebody asked me one time, he said, where was Adam when Eve was deceived? He was right by her side, the big lug. I just, when I get to heaven, I just, for the whole moment, I'd like to have a holy slap. He's messed up the whole world by that choice. Forgive me, I, some will say that I have a spirit of anger. You see, Esau was deceived thinking that Jacob was the favored child. He was the baby of the family. Eve believed that God was holding out on her, and she believed Satan's lie. Adam was deceived, believing God was holding out on him. Jacob, he was deceived, thinking that he should have the birthright. Whenever you look at this passage, it's a reminder to me that Esau really, in a very real way, was attempting to get back at his own father. Everything that Jacob did that was good and his father honored, Esau did the exact opposite. Genesis 28, it says, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Amaranth and take, to take himself a wife from there. And that he was blessed. And, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father. So he went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, such names, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. He already had Canaanite wives. He knew his father had told him not to do so. It was spite trying to get back. It was because of a bitter root. It was a root of bitterness that had been going on inside of Esau for years. It was coming out in a variety of ways. Whatever he saw Jacob please his father, he tried to do the opposite. How many times have you seen somebody that's angry at somebody and they do something spiteful, thinking that that spite's going to somehow get a hold of them, it's going to make something. It, it, it just, I know of a young man that has, has estranged his family, thinking that he's going to show them and by estranging them, he doesn't realize the self-inflicted wound that he's creating for himself and for his own family. You, you, you see, we see that over and again. I'm gonna, it's like drinking poison thinking that it's going to kill somebody else. That's what the root of bitterness is. It, it's just amazing, isn't it? And then some people, they're really angry at God. 
Why did God allow this? Why did God permit this? Why, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God stop? Why didn't God do this? When God created us, he created us with a will. He created us with the ability of choice. He didn't create us to be little robots that were pre-programmed. He created us with sovereign choice. And for God to intervene, he would have to step out of his own character. Because he created us to make choice. So when we go out here and we mess it up, it's us, it's not God. When, when those 19 terrorists came into New York with, with airplanes and into, into Washington, D.C. and into Pennsylvania with those airplanes and killed thousands of people, where was God? God was with every one of those that died, and God was with everyone that was left in the residual path of that. But God could not intervene because God gave a sovereign choice, and evil minds and evil people will do evil things. The book of Ruth says, but she said to them, this is Naomi, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She lost her husband, she lost her two sons, and basically she was blaming God. It's God's fault. God did this. What happened to her and her family happens to every family. I've got news for you folks. None of us are getting out of here alive. Now, I hope we are this morning, but, but, but I'm talking about this, this world. None of us are going to get out of this world alive. All of us are going to go through losses. All of us are going to go to a cemetery. All of us are going to have a funeral for someone. It's part of life. Our resentment can be directed to God because he didn't intervene. He didn't save. He didn't come in. He didn't stop the disease. He didn't heal like we thought he should. Why, God? Why did you allow this? I sat with a father yesterday whose son took his own life. There's no way. There's no way to understand the magnitude of the grief. And the questions of why. A few years ago, we, we went to one of our cousin's funerals who took her own life. Left two little, not two little boys, but two young men. And six months later, the father would do the same. When you get to a point of hopelessness and when, you, when you're looking in the wrong direction and when you're looking to the wrong source, the outcomes can be horribly devastating. Why didn't God intervene? God was there, but he gave choice. And the choices that we make, folks, are extremely important. And we can choose, we can choose even in the issues of bitterness, we can choose. We make 
the choices. We screw it up in life. We choose to go a direction. I, I, I guess I'm a little bit old-fashioned, and I, I don't buy into all of this nonsense. Alcoholism, they call it a disease. It's a choice. Drug addiction, you can call it a disease. It's a choice. You don't have to choose it. I love the way that, that, that the patriarch said, as for me and my house, we will, we will, we will serve the Lord. That's a choice. I don't have to give in to the ways of my world. I don't have to give in to the dictates around me. I've got news for you, friends. There's two sexes, male and female. There is no third sex. I read an article the other day that said this professor had declared there's 78 different sexes. And I'm thinking to me, what is she drinking? Forgive me, but folks, it's a choice. There may be a propensity to war, but you don't have to go that way. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My, grand, my dad and his brothers and sister all had the propensity towards addictive behaviors. Two of my uncles chose to be alcoholics. God delivered them. My dad was going in that direction and he made a choice. He said, I am not going that way. He chose a different direction. He might have a, pro, pretend, a, a propensity towards something, but you don't have to give in to it. Hallelujah. I don't know why I'm preaching on that, but I just felt like I should. Paul says, all manner of evil desire comes from sin. Naomi, Naomi, which means beautiful, said, call me Mara, which means bitter. She made a choice. It's interesting that you hear the word Mara in another place. Children of Israel are in their sojourning, coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And they're thirsty, and they come to a body of water, and they taste the water, and it's bitter. You've got herds, you've got millions of people, you've got people that need water to satiate their thirst in a dry, barren place. And here you have bitter water that you cannot drink. And God said to Moses, Moses, take that tree and put it in the water. He didn't say cut it down. He said, take the tree, the tree with roots and all. Now listen to this. Jesus is the vine. He is the root of Jesse. He is the root. And you put Jesus and the root into any problem, I'm going to tell you, it'll come out sweeter. And when you don't have Jesus in the solution, you don't have an answer that's worth even talking about. But when I look at this passage, it's, it's powerful to me. But it takes me to the last point, and I want to bring this airplane down here just a second. Bitter roots depress. They not only deceive, but they depress. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he, was, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, 
That word simply means that he walked around with rejection in his life. He felt rejected. And so because he felt rejection, there was bitterness. And with his rejection, it created all kinds of stumblings for him. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. The word profane here literally means a person driven by their appetite. Driven by their appetite. It's interesting. He talks about, in the first part of it, he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. He talks about sexual perversion or desire. What, it, it, it's always amazed me that for one fleeting moment of pleasure, a person would give up a family, their children, a marriage, a business, a livelihood for one fleeting moment. Sin is insane, and it's a choice. God speaks of that in such a unique way, but what's the cause? What's the cause of some guy going after somebody else's wife or doing this? It's because I honestly believe he feels like, God, you're holding out on me. There's something better over here than what I have over here. The root of bitterness is not only in the, in the Old or in the New Testament. In the 28th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, God gives blessings and cursings. And he says, blessed are you in your city and in your country. Blessed is the fruit of your body. Blessed are, the, are, are your herds. Blessed is your basket and your kneading bowl. And then he goes on and he says, but there's also curses. And he says, curse be in the city and in, in, in all of that. You get the point? But it all comes back to if you obey me. If you obey me. And, and it's amazing to me because the word cursed could literally be translated consequences. Because when you look at Deuteronomy 29, it says, So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods of these nations. Now listen to this. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. God didn't create us for bitterness. And he talks about wormwood. Wormwood is a root. It, it's, it's a bush or a tree, but it's, it's, it's a root. And in the root of wormwood is a bitter toxin that literally is poison. Proverbs says that a person that would seek after an, another man's wife or another, man's, another woman's husband uh, would, it would be like taking wormwood or poison to themselves. It kills. How many of you have ever read any of C.S. Lewis's writings? He has an apologetics called Screwtape Letters. Have you ever read that one? Screwtape was a demon. And Screwtape was writing a letter to his nephew, Wormwood. And where C.S. Lewis got the names were really out of Scripture. 
In Revelation chapter 8, it says, The third angel sounded, and a great star, which was an angel falling, fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. About the beginning of the 20th century, scientists were trying to figure out, because, you know, most medicines come out of herbs and whatever, plants and things. And so they took wormwood, thinking that there might be some medicinal benefit to it. What they come up with was this. It was considered dangerous to health as it reported. It was reported to cause confusion, hallucinations, mental impairment, and deterioration, and psychosis, all caused by a toxic chemical present in wormwood. It was called absinthe. Don't let any doctor ever prescribe that, (laughs) because it won't help you. God was telling us his precepts that there would not that, that, that if we obey him, we wouldn't have that bitterness. Jeremiah says it this way, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. Easter's coming. And there were many messianic prophecies about Jesus coming. And about the death of the Savior. In Psalm 69, 21, it says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. On that Good Friday, Jesus is on the cross. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I. He tasted the bitterness of life, but he did not take it in. He was tempted with every aspect of life, just like you and me. And he had a choice. He had a choice to consume and take into himself bitterness, but he rejected it. And what he did on the cross, hanging between heaven and earth, impaled by nails, his back destroyed by the, cro- by the, by the floggings, looked at the crowd that one week earlier had declared him Messiah, and on this day spat upon him and cursed him rejected him. He sees the inquisitors of those that had beaten him and those that had nailed him to a tree. He tasted, but he would not drink. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. It's a choice. Holding on to resentment, holding on to a grudge, holding on to a hurt, holding on to a past, holding on to the things that of others that have done to you, holding on with anger, holding on with resentment is a choice. And you have the choice today. 
You've tasted it. But you have the choice to drink it. Or you have the choice that Jesus said to give them. And I would remind you, none of the crowd asked to be forgiven. But Jesus did so anyway. You want to release yourself from a root of bitterness. Learn to forgive. Pastor, I have, I have, I have. Kind of reminds me of something I shared with the guys the other morning. You're out here in the ocean about five miles and you're falling off of a boat. You're about to drown. A guy comes along and brings you out of the water and takes you to shore and you're standing there cold and shivering. You've got a blanket around you. Are you happy? Yeah. And then he says to you, you'll never have to worry about drowning again because I'll never leave you. I'm always going to be with you. But then we learn how to swim. And we think we can do it on our own. I take you 100 miles out in that ocean and I drop you in it. Let's see how far you can swim. You see, that ocean is our sin. That ocean is the residual effect of bitterness. And without the help of Almighty God, I drowned. Father, I pray your blessing upon the word and to each one of us today. Help us, Lord, to somehow grasp the simplest message that you have forgiven to the uttermost. You've forgiven us so much. Yet, Father, it's so difficult sometimes for us to give so little in comparisons. Father, I pray this morning that, Holy Spirit, as you're speaking to each one of our hearts, help us to let go of some of those things. We hold on so tightly to bitterness and hurts and wounds the unfairness of life. And with it, we rob ourselves of the greatest blessing of all. The peace and the mercy and the grace. Lord, you've shown that to us. How dare we not show it to others? Help us to put it on the altar today. And Lord, let us, let us just let it stay there. Truly, Lord, help us to forgive. Help us to be outside and release from the bondage of unforgiveness. And the root of bitterness, Father, that I think all of, all of it goes back to maybe even a bitterness toward you. You've forgiven us. You've blessed us. You want to bless us more. Release us today from that in Jesus' name.